following contains mature content. Auto characters may be based on real people. This is an unbridled, ridiculous work of fiction. From the A, I'm Mr. Jackal, and this is American Ball Tales. September, 1945, Corpus Christi, Texas. Why did I volunteer to be a guinea pig? That's the question Maurice Frederick Winter, other known as Tex, keeps asking himself. These planes were flying coffins. Every other pilot has died flying one of these things. Luckily for him, none have died on consecutive sessions. If he dies today, he'll be the first to break the sequence. Mavic 136, Mavic 136, do you copy? Copy, Alamo. What's your status? All readings are stable. Engines are responding well. Constant speed of 300 knocks, ready to initiate new tests. Copy, Mavic 136, Godspeed. Copy, Alamo. Initiating test 1521 now. Tex checks all his instruments and slowly increases the throttle. The lady and I are now at 700 knots. All readings are still stable. Copy Maverick 136, maintain speed. Once you hit the land marker, turn her around and bring her home. Copy Alamo. <sighs> Tex is relieved. 20 more minutes and he'll be heading home. He's practiced all day, all night, for the last seven days for this test. Now, he just hopes that death doesn't catch up to him. Tex has never heard that noise before. He looks around, trying to find a source of sound. Alamo, I'm starting to get some issues with the vertical stabilizer. She appears to be loose. I'm decreasing speed. Copy, Maverick 136. Then all of a sudden, Alamo, Alamo, do you copy? Do you copy? Copy me, Maverick 136, what's happening? Complete silence surrounds Tex. He looks at his instruments. They're spinning aimlessly in circles, like a motorcycle riding in a caged death globe. Tex looks out the window. He's not crashing. It's as if he's frozen, but still flying. Alamo, Alamo, do you copy? Alamo, Alamo, do you copy? Ah, say something! Then Tex notices a strange blue color casting over his controls. It gets brighter and brighter. The blue transitions to white. Tex slowly looks up. Bright white lights start to descend upon him. He starts to see an outline of his shape. He recognizes them as triangles. They're not flying in sync or formation. They're drifting in and out of each other's position. Tex is hypnotized at this point. He's filled with shock and wonder. The triangles get closer and closer. He studies them intensely. He starts to feel lightheaded. His body starts to go limp. Then, with the presence of mind, Tex reaches for the injection latch. He quietly whispers a prayer and pulls it. Nothing. He doesn't panic, nor does he feel safe. Am I dying? He lifts up his visors. He looks up one more time to see it with his own eyes. Then... Tex opens his eyes. He sees the blue sky, and he starts to wiggle his fingers and toes. Uh, okay. I'm not paralyzed. Then he realizes that he's laying on the desert ground. He sits up and sees that he's still in his flight suit. 
He looks around and sees his plane. It's completely intact. No physical indication of damage whatsoever can be seen. So that means he didn't crash. Ah, Lieutenant Winter, you're not a cold rock wasting space after all. Tex turns around and sees a squad of soldiers and his commanding officer, Captain Charles Taylor, most known as Chuck. Captain, where are we? And what happened? Did I land here? We're near Big Bend National Park. As for what happened, you tell me, son. There's no evidence of you having a forced landing. Hell, there's even no tire landing tracks behind the plane. It's as if somebody plucked you out of the sky and set you here like one of them chess pieces, saving your life in the process. Captain, what do you mean saving my life? Lieutenant Winter, please tell me you did not notice that vertical stabilizer that almost broke off, or that you did not see that giant metal fracture on the wing. Well, Captain, I remember something happening with the vertical fin, but not the wings. Well, then, son, what the hell happened up there? November 2010, Minneapolis, Target Center, visiting locker room. All eyes are locked on Matt Barnes. Each player stares at him as they can't believe what just came out of his mouth. His face turns red, but his body expresses jubilance. Phil Jackson and Kobe Bryant glance at each other and exchange a chuckle with their eyes. Barnes combs his hair in front of everybody and turns to Derek Fisher, who stands in the corner, chewing on a toothpick. Fish! I'm going to beat your ass for making me do this. Nah, nature boy, you just made history. You got to explain to us how a dolphin got you to play a perfect game. Man, like I said, I just talked to a dolphin. So a dolphin explained to you how to get a 24-7-7 stat line without missing a shot? Yo, you were 5 for 5 from the three-point line. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The room looks even more bewildered. Then, a curious Phil Jackson leans in. Barnes, please indulge us. <sighs> Aight. So after shoot around this morning, I couldn't nap. I took Phil's advice about experiencing new things, and I never really seen Minneapolis, so I hit up Prince, and he told me, Yeah, just peep the Walker Art Center. You'll find something brand new. And I got there, and most of the place was cool. But when I got to the end, that's when I saw it. The dolphin. Andrew Bynum, sitting on the floor with his knees touching his chest, raises his hand. Yeah, Drew, what's up? Yo, the museum had an aquarium to hold a real dolphin? Nah, nah, nah. It's not like that. It's not a real dolphin. It's a computer version. Pagasaw raises his hand in the back. Yes, pal. Wait, all this time I thought dolphin was a new slang word for a woman. So it's a fake video game dolphin? It's a dolphin on a projected screen. But anyways, I walk towards it. And then it says hello to me. I trip out a little bit. I was looking around, I was like, man, is this thing really talking to me? But then I saw a keyboard, so I started asking it stupid questions. Like what? If it knew what ghetto meant, what's the meaning of life, and who's the greatest player of all time? Kobe Bryant quickly raises his hand. Who did it say was the greatest player? Oh, Jordan. Oh, makes sense. But here's the thing that tripped me out even more. I asked it, how can I be a better basketball player? And you know what it said? The entire room leans in, the players, the coaches, the trainers, the entire staff, even Andrew Bynum repositions himself and lays on his stomach like a kindergartner. It told me to imagine myself as a dolphin, living on the water, depending on sound for movement, how it moves through space, which for them is salt water. It told me if I could experience it, I could be a better player. So I asked the dolphin, how can I experience it just like you? And it said, 
translates to greatness finds a way. That's it? How does that translate to the floor? Good question, pal. Good question. I thought about it when I was heading back to the hotel. And then it hit me. I had to be a dolphin. I had to find a place where I could be in the dark, in salt water. So this is where I ran into problems. It wasn't dark outside. It was fucking cold. And there's nothing but fresh water in this area. So I did the next best thing. Room service. How may I help ya? Hey, this is Matt Barnes with the Lakers. I have a weird question. Do you think I could get about 100 pounds of salt up to my room? Um, well, sir, I need to ask my manager. Wait, 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 wait. How about this? How about I give you three stacks? Hold on. Do you know what stacks mean? Well, no, sir. Well, a stack is $1,000. I'll give you three stacks for you to give me 100 pounds of salt and bring it up to my room. Well, yeah, I could do that. I got, yeah, 100 pounds of salt right here. Where do you want it? Next thing you know, the lights were off. It was complete silence. I slowly eased into the tub, and with all the salt, my body never touched the bottom. I was still underwater, but floating with zero effort. Everything but my nose was submerged. It was as if a parade of spirits were holding me up, keeping me from drowning. It was the wildest, yet most relaxing feeling I ever felt. And that was just the start of it. But once I got situated, my mind quieted down. I let it guide me and shape me into a dolphin. I saw myself becoming one of them. I slowly start seeing like them, using my breath as sonar. Each breath echoed in the water, capturing a still image of my surroundings. This was a different way of seeing. It created a whole new perception for me. It created a 3D world where I was everywhere at once, which I swam deeper and deeper into. And at the very bottom was an underwater basketball court. But I didn't see the court the same way I've been seeing it for all these years. It was a whole different court. But here's the thing. Once I realized I could do this, see the world in this way, I saw the rim in a completely different way too. Now I could direct my breath towards the rim. And whatever didn't echo back was the openness of the rim. The openness that accepted my breath. And that's the secret to my game. That's how I didn't miss a shot. I came out of the water like a cute-ass dolphin and saw the court the same way they did. Barnes, expecting laughter and confusion, instead notices every head nodding in unison. Derek walks up to him, smiling and shaking his head in disbelief. Remember when you asked me about what's so special about us in a triangle? Well, I wish Tex could be here to explain this better to you. But it's not really Phil pushing you to experience new things. It's really the triangle. It does that. It makes you unearth hidden abilities already inside you. Powers tucked away by the 9 gods. You just now went through it, like all of us. This is the closest thing we have to an initiation. You're not part of the team unless it happens to you. Some don't experience it, but that's why they don't last here. But once you do, you join a real team. We even have another name for it. And what's that? Gentlemen, the Skill Illuminati. Welcome to the Skill Illuminati, Nature Boy. Where the strength of the wolf is the pack, and the strength of the pack is the wolf. This is just the beginning. October 2015, Los Angeles.
Derek Fisher walks out of the bathroom, sweaty and ecstatic. Who's ready for the greatest grilled cheese ever made? Carter and Isaiah, twin boys, look at one another. Isaiah raises his hands. I do, I do. Carter, do you not like grilled cheese? I thought you did. Or did your mom tell me that? Eh, I don't know. You don't know if you like it, or you don't know if you want it right now? Well, I don't know if I can eat it. Why? What's wrong? Carter shrugs again and looks down away from Fisher. Look here, buddy. Let me tell you something. It'll be the greatest grilled cheese sandwich you ever have. I promise you that. I even told your mom I'll put on a show while making it for you. Watch. Fisher adjusts his toothpick and opens his right arm, acting as a concierge, guiding both the boys' eyes towards the middle of the kitchen island. Right here is a handcrafted sourdough bread made by the great magician Silverton. It's the holy grail of fanatic home bakers, like the one standing in front of you, like moi. Next, we have the OG sharp cheddar cheese with its sidekick, Barracuda Gouda. Sharpness mixed with the creaminess. Once we shred both of these bad boys, meltability is 100. And last but not least, we have the universal ingredient that both you boys love. It's the most essential in getting that golden crunch. Mayo. Isaiah raises his hands in delight. Hey, yo! On the contrary, Carter doesn't flinch. He keeps his eyes locked on Fisher's hands, like a feline, carefully taking mental notes on everything he touches. Isaiah, are you ready? Yeah. Carter, are you ready? Carter, you're one tough kiddo to impress, but I think I'll win you over with my heartfelt milk. Alexa, play my cooking song. Fisher slices the sourdough bread and places it on the cutting board. He then spreads mayo over the top of each slice. He grabs a log of butter and squeezes it out of the paper wrap. It shoots out at an angle and plops dead center onto the skillet. Fisher tosses two slices of bread upwards behind his back. They spread out, suspending themselves in the air, dancing, spinning, and then plunging onto the melted butter like a pair of synchronized swimmers. Fisher pulls a knife out of his side akin to a samurai, ready to engage in a sword fight. He chucks both the cheeses above his head and waves the blade as if he's conducting a symphony. The cheeses shred and slowly descend like snowflakes onto the slices of bread, all perfect, none falling outside the crust. Derek swivels his head towards the boys and without looking, lobs the remaining slices, topping off each of the open-faced sandwiches. Isaiah embraces the razzle-dazzle in all Derek's showboating. However, Carter is still transfixed on Fisher's cotton candy-like hands. Each finger coated in butter, breadcrumbs, and speckles of cheese, making both hands appear as gloves made of glittery ingredients. There it is, gentlemen. The best grilled cheese sandwich you'll ever have. Fisher pinches his thumb and right index finger together, and as he does, fragments of food fall off Derek's hand onto Carter's plate. Bone appetite. Carter makes his way out of the kitchen. Isaiah and Derek exchange a look of dismay. Carter! No response. Okay, I'm going to eat your sandwich. I guess there's just more for me. Mmm, this is good. I can't wait to tell mom. Fisher claps his hodgepodge hands together and expresses his gratitude. Thank you, Isaiah. I really appreciate it. I hope Carter is okay. Womp womp. He's the one that's missing out. 
No harm, no foul. August, 1954, Manhattan, Kansas. Coach, did you really play basketball against Jackie Robinson? Only during the summer league in L.A. Is it also true that you were the youngest coach ever to be hired for college basketball? Nothing to boast about, but yes again. Man, what haven't you done? Discover the meaning of life and get through this recording in a jiffy. How long will this take, son? I'm busier than a one-hand butcher with a fresh cow. It won't take long, coach. We're ready now. Tex fixes his tie before sitting down on the desk. Okay. Camera. Speed. Kansas State basketball film. Take five. And action. Hello. I'm Tex Winter, head basketball coach of Kansas State University. You know the team. That's, that's, that's. Tex freezes and stares at the camera. The film crew looks at each other again. Off camera, Tex was easygoing, natural, and comfortable in his own skin. But once the camera started rolling, he wasn't. Well-conditioned and well-drilled in the fundamentals. Well-conditioned and well-drilled in the fundamentals such as passing, dribbling, footwork, and running is a mean... <laughs> Cut! Coach, are you okay? Do you need another break? I think you need another break. I'm sorry. I'm ready now. Let's keep the ball rolling. Let's keep doing this. Let's not. You know what? We need another light. The chalkboard isn't well lit anyways. Dad, can we get another tungsten in here to fill the chalkboard? Yeah. So coach, just make yourself real comfortable. And just let it come to you. Don't even think about it. Act natural. Take your time and breathe. Tex loosens up his tie and looks at his note cards. No more mistakes, no more mishaps. The basketball gods are watching, and they would expect nothing less. All right, you ready to go again, coach? Ready as a rooster. The crew rolls up the light and sets it behind the director. All right, that's good. Tex looks up at the clear glass plate, pointing directly towards him. That's a big light. Coach Winner, just a warning. This light is bright and it may give off a lot of heat. Okay, guys. Give me that fill light in the back. The glass plate ignites. The electric energy transforms the filament, and the bulb fuses emits a giant ray of light. His vision starts to get blurry, and he starts to lose consciousness. Another burst of energy explodes out of the tungsten light and a projection of Tex propels out of his physical body. He hovers, and he sees his physical form suspended. He then senses something in his presence. He looks up and sees an aura of another future. New visions. Visions of him in agony on court, packing his belongings and holding a binder dear to him. Another vision of him arguing with a coach in a packed stadium. Then all of a sudden, it all disappears. His entire surrounding evaporates, and he finds himself in a white room. He sees a younger version of himself in a navy flight suit sitting at a table with an empty chair. Tex, we already met. Have a seat. Not knowing what to do, he pulls the chair out and takes a seat. He stares at his younger self, and his younger self returns a smile. Tex, you'll see it soon, I promise. You'll see what it all means, how it all comes together. His doppelganger raises his right hand and places it on his shoulders. Coach Winner, are you okay? Tex fully comes back to consciousness. Ugh. He looks at the film crew, and they all stare at him with their mouths open. Son, what just happened? Tex sees a marker in his hand, and he looks around the film set. The entire set is covered in X's and O's, multiple permutations of what appears to be the same play drawn in triangle formations everywhere. Big drawings, small drawings, abstracts, dozens upon dozens of plays overwhelming the film set. 
It's as if Tex became an obsessed mad scientist, scribbling every secret formula and equation that came into his head. He looks on the floor and sees the biggest drawing. Two large triangles in the post, with a small triangle at the top of the key. <clears throat> Tex looks back at the director, and he sees a puzzled look. Yeah, this is going to take a little bit longer than we expected. October 2015, Santa Barbara. Matt Barnes stands outside the training facility, exposing his sweaty body to the breeze, a perfect mixture of salt and coolness, a reminiscence of his dolphin experience. It's a nice break from Tony Allen's constant bombardment. He's glad to finally have the grind fodder as a teammate. It's a nice change for once to not be the enforcer. He continues taking in the scene and sees Vince Carter meditating across the lot. He doesn't know how Vince is still holding up after all those years of high-flying dunks. Nothing shortens your NBA career than your knees constantly taking impact. Barnes looks back in the gym and sees nothing but vets. For him, experience is one thing, but health is another. He hopes the team stays healthy, but if the Memphis spirit of grit and grind holds true, the team will be all right. Hey guys, there's my two favorite people in the world. What are you guys doing? Isn't it almost time for bed? Yeah, but I just got done eating grilled cheese. Grilled cheese sandwich? Mmm, that sounds very good right now. Did you have some, Carter? No, I didn't have any. How come? I thought you loved grilled cheese. Mommy's friend made it, but he had dirty hands. Derek's hands weren't dirty. They were just covered in ingredients. Um, who's Derek? Mommy's new friend. Carter doesn't like him. Hey, hey, hey. Who's Derek? What does he look like? And Carter, why don't you like him? Carter shakes his head and lays it down on a couch. He puts a pillow in front of him. Derek is mommy's new friend. He's bald, and he said he played basketball with you. Mommy and him are having a little party outside with friends. And I don't like Derek because, because I didn't see him wash his hands when he came out of the stinky bathroom. And I didn't want to eat his grilled cheese sandwich because of that. This motherfucker. What's that, Daddy? <laughs> Nothing. Only Daddy says that. Daddy has to go, okay? You guys get ready for bed. All right? All right. Daddy loves you. Okay, okay love you too, Daddy. Bye-bye. Before you go hard in the paint, let's think about this for a second. Barnes channels his dolphin energy. He pulls his phone out and lets his playlist decide if he should go hard in the paint or save a paycheck. Shuffling, I'm a badass motherfucker. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place Even your emotions have an echo It's so much space When you're out there without care Yeah, I was out of touch But it wasn't because I didn't know enough I just knew too much 
Two hours later, Los Angeles. Derek Fisher pulls a toothpick out of his mouth and places it in his shirt pocket. He brings a glass of wine close to his nose and savors a fresh pour. He hits upon the aroma of cola and hints of sweet spicy plum, dark chocolate, and vanilla. This bottle, a 2016 Mendel Malbec, will be a perfect companion to tonight's clear night sky and 72 degree weather. Derek pours Gloria Gavant in a glass and kisses her on the cheek. He then turns to Shayna and Malik, their evening guests, and gestures a refill. Shayna slides her glass over. You're really serious, aren't you, Shayna? I am. Look, all I'm trying to say is that a man should be equally responsible for birth control. Men are just fucking lazy and egotistical. Okay. Give me a download. Hold on. Okay, look at Candy Man. He had a kid with a different baby mama in almost every city he played in. Five kids, five different child support checks. You told me that isn't being lazy and egotistical? Because if that was me, snip snip. Lazy, yes, but I don't know about egotistical. Okay, Derek, you got kids. Why haven't you done it? Hmm. Exactly. Women have to deal with all the physical and emotional parts of birth control. IUDs are painful. Pills fuck with your hormones. And getting our tubes tied requires a doctor to dig around an area like a homeless person digging through the trash after a donut shop closes. For men, it's so easy. It takes less than 15 minutes to gas you up and snip snip. Everything still works the same. You can still shoot the club up, but you just be shooting blanks. I feel you, Sheena. But players are young when they make these mistakes. What if they want to start a family down the road? You just freeze it. 
Before auto snaps you take before the game, just make sure you shoot one for the family. Pew pew! But on the real, players have the most to lose by not snipping it. Because we know all these thirst traps are getting more advanced day by day. Be out there like the Terminator. IDing targets, updating themselves from Skate 100 to Ho 1000. Watch. In the future, they're going to ask for a selfie and pluck your hair. And they'll use it to clone a kid in China so they can have their own NBA kid. You'll see. You crazy. Malik, what'd you think? 100. One less thing to worry about in my life. Because we all know we got enough problems. Mm -hmm. Yep. Suddenly, Derek tenses up. Hey, Malik, do you hear that? Hear what? Yo, D, I think he just twisted like Shayna. Derek grabs the toothpick out of his pocket and throws it like an assassin. The party automatically comes to a halt. Derek calmly and silently gets up. As he does... A shadowy figure starts to emerge from the dark side of the house. The man slowly creeps into the open light with a comb in his hand. He pulls a toothpick out of it and flicks it away. I would expect nothing less, Fish. You know, you were right. Once you buy into Texas Skill Illuminati Hocus Pocus Juju, it never really leaves you. It's always there, waiting to be awakened in a reflex. From afar, both men size each other up, each equally calm and collect in their own approach. They slowly find their way, molasses-like, to the middle of the yard. The rest of the party sits frozen in their outdoor cabana, which is now serving as a proscenium to the event unfolding right in front of them. Nice to see you again, Matt. Fish? You really get it how you live it, huh? You know, I don't think this is the triangle the nylon gods had in mind. The whole strength of the wolf is in the pack, and the strength of the pack is in the wolf bullshit. But then I realize, that just really applies to warm-blooded animals. I forgot that fishes are cold-blooded, just exactly like a serpent. Sneaking and slittering their way into any easy opportunity. Let's not get ahead of ourselves now, nature boy. You're not exactly perfect, too. Should I bring up all the abuse that Gloria's told me about? Barnes breaks his focus from Fisher and glances at Gloria. Nothing but fairy tales, Fish. Oh, yeah? Why are you here? Just stop by? Need some brown sugar? Well, Fish, you are on my property. You are sleeping in my bed but technically my wife. You peed out of your ass in my house, and then you followed up to try to break bread with my kids without washing your hands? Come on now. I know you got kids, Fish. You mind if I go to your crib and take the Browns to the Super Bowl and then bake them a nice, warm, soft-serve, gooey, dark chocolate fudge cake without washing my hands? So yeah, maybe I do need some brown sugar for that dirty cake. The nares of Fisher's nose widen. He huffs and he puffs, expanding his chest like a bullfrog. Well, I rearranged the kitchen a little bit today, so I have to show you where I moved it. Annoyed, Barnes's eyebrows starts to twitch. They both start to walk in parallel, mirroring each other. The rest of the party watches as the two play a game of chicken, waiting for a signal to strike. Shayna, bothered by her standstill, picks up her wine glass and leans forward. Both men dash at each other and unleash a series of blows. Barnes sends Fisher into the air and the bamboo trees. Fisher, full from dinner and not completely sober, picks up a piece of broken bamboo. Barnes quickly grabs the outside broom and advances towards Fisher. Oh. 
Barnes, consumed by rage, picks up bricks and hurls them at Fisher. The commotion wakes up the boys, and to their horror, they scream. Watching her dad fill with rage, attempting to destroy a man that their mom likes. As the boys walk outside, Gloria collects herself and stumbles towards them. She shames both the grown men with a glance. The twins express their disappointment and go back inside the house. Both men notice look, a look you learn over time as a parent. Barnes and Fisher look at each other one last time. Sirens can be heard, presumably heading to their spot. They shake their heads and go on their separate ways. Fisher towards Gloria, Barnes towards his kids. June 1992, Chicago Stadium, Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Damn it, Phil. You're getting out, coach. It's all adding up. The defense knows how to read it. Take him out. Phil Jackson hears Tex winner, but ignores him. It infuriates Tex, who's been watching the Trailblazers' defense suffocate Jordan. Every drive, every post-up, every shot Jordan attempts, the defense has an answer for it. As a result, the most electrifying player in the NBA is hurting his own team. Since the beginning of the third quarter, None of the triangle sets have seen action. The constant motion, crisp passing, and basic fundamentals have all been absent. Tex looks at the scoreboard. Portland, 73, Chicago, 58. He watches as Clyde Drexler brings the ball up and drives as Stacey King and Cliff Livingston miscommunicate. Luckily, Drexler misses a layup and the entire post fights for the rebound. Stacey King sees a window and spikes the ball towards Jordan. Jordan regains the possession and makes a transition drive towards the basket. He beats two defenders and lifts off the ground. Jordan sticks his tongue out and gently lays out his hand. The ball releases. Out of nowhere, Drexler maneuvers from the side and swats the ball away. Tex rips his notebook harder and slams it onto the floor. God damn it, Phil. You're just some sticking mud. No response again. Tex continues to watch as Portland plays in unison, running up the score with Danny Ainge's recent bucket. 79-66. The Bulls now have final possession. They run out of bounds with 4.3 seconds left. Tex knows the outcome without having to watch the play. He also knows if he doesn't convince Field to take Michael out of the game, Portland will get the better of them. Tex leans forward in his chair and picks up his notebook. He redirects his attention towards the arena lights. He looks into their center as the whites of the light burn into his eyes. After years of practice, this is the moment he's been waiting for. His body begins to go to autopilot. His eyes roll back. His hands automatically open his notebook and start to scribble. Tex opens his eyes. The crowd darkens. The game slows down. Rings of glowing gas and debris surround the court. 
vast galaxy clouds glow from the red hydrogen. The court now floats in the middle of a nebula. A triad of triangles appear and orbit each other, while a pair of yellow-green particles orbit them. Constellation of lights form all over the players. They give hints of ideal angles and lanes for the ball to move. The orbiting triangles shift, and new variations start to form. After all the years of visions, Tex has now reached the crux of it. The beauty, the harmony, and the pureness. Tex is heartened at the poetic movement right in front of him. Then, as swiftly as the galactic parade appeared, a tidal wave of heavenly clouds consumed the court. Back to reality. Tex walks up to Phil, cradling his notebook, and shortstops him. Phil, the Blazers are confusing our offense. We have no spacing. They're playing the lanes and the boards. Michael is at the root of their design. And as I heard you say, pace is the absence of confusion. You pull Michael out, and we'll find peace. Believe in the triangle, Phil. Believe in it. Tex opens his notebook and Phil's eyes kindle. Two pages covered in triangles with one as a centerpiece. Phil studies it. All the lines, all the arrows, and all the positions. Phil signals for BJ Armstrong, Bobby Hansen, Scott Williams, Stacey King, and Scotty Pippen to start the fourth. He looks at Michael and motions his hand down. Michael acknowledges and grabs a towel. Tex returns to his seat and reclines back. Scotty Pippen draws a triple team, swings the ball to the left to King. King swings it to Bobby Hansen. Hansen with the corner three! Bobby Hansen, that's one reason he's in there. And Hansen strips into the ball. Bobby Hansen, gentlemen, give him some life to his team. The ball comes to King, and he's annihilated inside. Oh, and the Bulls are asking for a flagrant foul. Ladies and gentlemen, the referees are called a flagrant foul. Shoot these free throws and get the ball out of bounds on the side. Pippen, backs it on Drexler. Turn, double, triple team, spin, throw, and lays it in. Oh, that was an unbelievable shot. And just like that, in a span of three minutes and 30 seconds, the Bulls went on a 14-2 run without Michael Jordan to bring the Bulls within three points. The Bulls will end up winning the game and celebrating their first championship on home court. As the team proclaim their glory, Tex Winter never moves from his coaching seat. He sits up with both arms propped up behind his head, marveling up at the arena lights with awe and wonder. April 2018, LAX. Derek Fisher stands at the counter and adjusts his SpongeBob ball cap to cover more of his face. He looks at his watch again. It's 20 minutes to boarding time. Enough time to get a toothpick, a refill, but still cutting it close if things don't hurry up. He swings his backpack to the front and begins looking for something. <sighs> Fuck, where the hell did I put it? Hello, sir. How may I help you? Oh, hi. Yeah, can I get a refill? And where are your toothpicks? Absolutely. Toothpicks are over there. And can you please take your top off? Yeah, but we just met. The employee's friendly face pulls a 180. The opposite reaction from what Derek normally gets, trying to be funny. The employee, cold-heartedly, stares at him. She doesn't blink, nor does she react. Derek quickly recognizes the situation and slowly reaches for his cup. He pops the lid off and hands it to her. Still saying nothing and staring at him, 
She takes the cup and gives Derek a refill without asking what he wants. Sorry, that was just low-hanging fruit. I know you, sir. You played basketball with Kobe. Here's your refill. <sighs> Derek awkwardly grabs his cup and as he begins to turn around, say hi to Kobe for me. Yeah. Within a few seconds, a fan rushes towards him. Derek Fisher! Can I get a picture? <sighs> Fuck. <sighs> Can I get a picture? Would you? Derek glances at his purple and gold shirt. It's an upside down Swish logo with the slogan, I just can't. Sure. Awesome! Then, in a blink of an eye, the fan pops up next to him and squeezes him. Dude, I've had one question I really wanted to ask you. Shoot, how do you keep your head so shiny? Soul glow. No way. Slow glow really exists? I thought that was for people with hair. <sighs> yes, and it's soul glow. Not slow glow. And I have to go. I have to catch a flight. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This means a lot. Yeah, keep it moving and avoid a clap. Derek looks ahead and sees another wave of fans approaching him. He looks at his watch and keeps it moving. 15 minutes to boarding. Luckily, the Sky Lounge is a few steps away and he'll just grab a toothpick there. He sees Gloria in the distance and begins to make his way. What'd it do, baby boo? <laughs> you silly. Did you run into any crazy Laker fans? Just one. He's probably gonna turn me into a meme. Oh, you mean this one? Gloria brings up an Instagram photo of Derek getting bear hugged. <sighs> I feel like I'm taking L's everywhere I go. <laughs> hey, don't say that. I'm about to be your wifey. I think that's a big W. Also, we're about to go to Cabo. <sighs> Looking forward to it. Derek holds up Gloria's hand and blesses it with a kiss. <sighs> I bet that's my publicist giving me shit about the photo. Derek pulls out his phone, and to his surprise, it's not a message from his publicist. It's an Instagram post from Barnes. I have two beautiful boys from my ex. We're both focusing on co-parenting and providing the best atmosphere and childhood for them. They love them, so I love it. Despite not seeing eye to eye initially with Derek, he and I are on the same page and communicate weekly about Isaiah and Carter. With that being said, congrats on the engagement. Why are you smiling? Just a good, caring man congratulating me on the engagement. Aww. Oh, I forgot. I got you a couple of toothpicks for the flight. And I found this. I knew you were looking for it. Gloria hands over Derek hand sanitizer. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was looking for this earlier. You know what? I feel good already. Why is that? Gloria, looks like me and you will have a nice, clean getaway after all. Oh, sweetie. I meant to ask you earlier. I saw that you could swim with dolphins down there. Did you want to do that? Hmm. Yeah, why not?
four championships together. Brian has such respect for Derek Fisher. The two of them as rookies used to go at it in practice and after practice all the time trying to make each other better. June 2010, Manhattan, Kansas. He picked up that last foul. He has three. Brian Short. Tex winner stands up and offers the hardest left kick his body allows. He hates it when the Lakers play selfishly. Since his stroke last year, watching basketball has been therapeutic. He lost the ability to speak, except for short words, and the right side of his body is unmoving. Doctors were initially worried because stroke victims at his age can fall into the blues and never recover. Instead, basketball is the thing that still jazzes up his brain. Every game during the season has been a necessity. All he wants to do is watch it. His son, Brian, snickers a bit as he sees his dad get mad. Dad, they'll be all right. No need to get worked up. Tex shakes his head. He sits back in his seat. He watches as the Lakers have possession again. Tex brings up four fingers and signals a pinch. Weak side four pinch, sideline triangle. Is that correct, Dad? Tex begins to motion his lips and points at himself. Mine. He then brings up his left hand and points to the Lakers 2002 championship ring with his thumb. It marks three triangles representing a three-peat from 2000. I know that, Dad. Hopefully they can pull it off. Looks like they'll go down to the wire again. By the way, do you need anything? I'm getting more water and checking the mail. Tex waves off his son, focuses back on the TV, and realizes it's the halftime commentary. He throws his left hand in the air and gets up to look out the window. He sees a quiet neighborhood under a clear sky. Nothing out of the ordinary except for residents next to the Kansas State campus. He misses his own home, the place he built with his own hands. If he never became a coach, he most likely would have been an architect. But if he had to do it all over again, he wouldn't change a thing. Tex looks out the night sky again, and as he does, a sensation he thought he lost returns. The hairs on his right arm spring up, and as he wiggles his toes, his right foot starts to tingle. The right side of his face reanimates, and his jaws inflate up. Tex slowly smiles. Lights begin to gradually appear in the distance. A soft blue glow radiates on Tex's face. It makes his whole body tingle. The lights in the sky grow bigger and bigger. The closer it gets, the more Tex's body starts to feel younger. His face is even more upbeat than before. He watches as the lights spin and swirl exactly the same way as he first saw them. He responds by waving both his arms, welcoming his old friends from the distance. The lights pulsate back, acknowledging his gesture. <laughs> they line up in a roll, flip down and flip back up. They begin to swing and twist and switch positions, gifting Tex a dance. The lights start to retract back into the sky. A bit of sensation on Tex's right side starts to fade away. His right shoulder drops a bit. His right leg partially numbs. His face settles slightly lower. However, Tex doesn't stop smiling. He has a bit of his former self back. It was all he needed. It was all he longed for. Then, Tex scatters all the strength he could. waves goodbye. Thank you. The lights twinkle one last time before ascending back into the beautiful starlit sky. Thank you.
American Ball Tales is written and produced by me, Mr. Jackal. If you enjoyed American Ball Tales, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps out the show drastically. To learn more about the next episode, please visit the website at AmericanBallTales.com and subscribe to our newsletter for more details. Or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for American Ball Tales. Much appreciated. Thank you.